and welcome to Molly Movie Club. I'm Anna Rutberg. And I'm Casey Miratori. And our movie this week is There Will Be Blood. It is. Question mark? Exclamation point. Directed by Paul Thomas Anderson. Holy cow. This is the worst start Processing. to a Molly movie. Are you going to edit that gap yeah, oh, out? Or are you gonna let the, I'm editing the, the gap out. Are you going to let the listeners know that you couldn't oh, remember who edit- directed I'm, this I'm movie? I'm editing the gap out. Okay. Well, th- th- with this movie, you've got a lot of three the three-name people, the three-name club. It's Daniel Day-Lewis. It's Paul Thomas Anderson. You know, it's everyone's here. And Paul, t- Paul Dano. Paul Thomas <laughs> Dano. <laughs> with the, the three names, Paul Dano. This movie, a movie... About a mustache. It is not about a mustache. <laughs> it's kind this of a- movie. This movie is about a person with a split personality, Paul Dano, who believes he is two brothers when in fact he is only one man. And it centers on his mental and spiritual <laughs> journey to attempt to come to terms with this aspect of his personality it's exactly like fight club just think of this movie as fight club in the old west and you've basically got it i do think it's weird how throughout the movie you're never sure up until the very end like if that guy was if it's literally he had a brother or he's just i mean he talks about like the, the family talks about paul so i'm assuming it's literally like his twin brother who's off well and i guess at the end too daniel i like that he's the same name as the actor that's convenient um points out that his brother actually has like a sort of mildly successful oil business. So it it it's definitely it, even though for I feel like the first part of the movie it's kind of unclear. So it's it's but one of the things I don't like about this movie. I I really don't like this movie. I don't really like anything about this movie. Hmm. I well, um, I suppose So unsurprisingly, yeah. I actually really liked this movie. No way. I, li- I really liked it, yeah. You are kidding me right no, now. No, I really liked it. I well, that's it- great because yeah. I was worried if you didn't like this movie, I was like, what are we going to talk about? Because Paul Thomas Anderson is a really interesting filmmaker. Yeah. And I have liked some of his movies. I haven't liked others, but there's always something on the screen and he's always trying something. Mm-hmm. So like... I can't very well fault him for doing anything wrong because he's probably doing exactly what he meant to do. And just sometimes it's not something I want to watch, but that's not very interesting to talk about, right? It's like, yeah, because yep, it's just not your thing, right? Didn't, didn't really like this one. Eh, so I, right? I actually really like this one. I haven't seen that many Paul Thomas Anderson movies, but okay. uh, it might be my favorite of the ones I've seen. All right, great. Then in I that really case, liked it. You, yeah. can, you can maybe take the lead on this one. I guess I will say that uh, I, my only sort of semi-objective complaint, I mean, the only thing I can really complain about that has any kind of actual logic behind it is that I didn't like Paul Dano's performance. Interesting. I, okay. I just didn't think it was very good. And so I felt like that kind of made the movie harder to watch for me than it needed to be. Now, I don't think a brilliant performance from somebody in this role would have magically made it better. Like, I don't know that I would have liked the movie, but it's the one thing I can point to where I'm like, okay, I have something constructive to say about this as opposed to just like, nah, I didn't like that or I wasn't interested in that or whatever else. I guess for me, you know, because going into this movie, I saw the runtime, which is very long. It's like two and a half hours. It's a long film. And I was like, you know, we were starting it kind of late, but I... Was engrossed the whole time. For me, the time flew by. No. Yes, I no. was. I was like so locked in. I think there's like, you know what? Actually, this movie had a very like Terrence Malicky feel to me. Oh, absolutely. I was thinking of Days of Heaven yeah. the whole time. I'm like, this feels like Days of Heaven to the Heavening to me. I feel like in this one, the, I mean, uh, compared to like something like The Master, which I've seen, which is basically, like, I had no idea what was going on at any point in The Master. This movie was, like, pretty straightforward. It was not, like, it was easy to follow what was going on, more or less. It was not, like... The Master is pretty easy I don't know. I remember, I remember being, like, confused about what was happening. Maybe I need to see that again, but... To me, this and The Master felt, like, honestly, so, of the Paul Thomas Anderson movies I've seen, which is quite a few, I, I think there's two of his movies I maybe haven't seen, but I think I've seen most of what he's done. There's ones that are like very straightforward and conventional. Mm-hmm. Well, that's that's not true. Uh there are ones that are much more like to the point and direct. Punch Drunk Love and Magnolia would be 
in that category for me. Mm -hmm. And then there are ones that are kind of like scenes over a long period of time that don't necessarily go together. Like it's like this scene and this scene are not really like a flow of plot. They're just kind of like things that happened and you're sort of just getting a feel for what this person's yes. life was over this time. Yeah, it's it's about the person. It's about the character. It's not really about necessarily like a specific sequence yeah, of events. It's, it's not like storytelling as much as it's like backgrounding. Yeah, like we're or dropping like a, in on yeah. like different points in this character's life that are important points for various reasons in this char- in this character's life. And they're in that way that they're they're connected, like in the or way not that in the, well, I'm just saying in the yeah. way that a, st- a person's life is a yes. story. These events are a story, right? But and, but they're not necessarily like yeah. There's one through line plot that like everything is about. Yeah, they're they're not selected for like if you're looking at scene selection, they're not selected to get to tell a particular story like in an efficient way. They're meant to just sort of give you this feeling of like here's mm-hmm. all the stuff that happened between these fifty years to this person or whatever. Yeah, just kind of in general. Mm-hmm. Uh, and he does several movies like that. Like Boogie Nights feels that way to me. The Master feels that way mm-hmm. to me. And this movie feels that way to Phantom me. What about Phantom Thread? That's kind of Phantom that way. Thread, I would say, is my favorite Paul Thomas Anderson movie, probably. Punch Drunk Love is quite good because it's unusual in that it's a Paul Thomas Anderson movie that happens to be very conventional in a way, like for him. I mean, it's not conventional by anyone else's standard, but very conventional for him. So it's truly interesting to watch because it's as if you know a avant-garde director directed something straightforward and the result is pretty Mm -hmm. great so it's it's a really great movie to watch just just to see what that looks like because it's unusual right um and uh because like for example there's times when that sort of thing happens david lynch for example directed the straight story it's not very interesting yeah right when Paul Thomas Anderson did a, sort of the equivalent thing, which is Punch Drunk Love, it's actually quite interesting, and I think it's worth watching. It's it's really cool. Yeah. But what I was going to say is Phantom Thread, to me, feels like a middle ground. It's like it's both that kind of like weird, sporadic, like uh, temporal hopping thing that's not necessarily designed to be back-to-back scenes that add up to something directly, right? But it also kind of is. There's more of a plot to it. Like the ending is way more of a of a tie uh, up to everything that's happened than, say, in this movie, which it really isn't, in my opinion. It's more of just an ending that happens. Yeah. But it's not like the culmination of all the events. And so Phantom Thread I really liked because I felt like it it was like right in that sweet spot of like doing both things whereas this movie and the master to me felt like just too diffuse i just wasn't that hmm. interested in what was happening because i wanted more story than i was getting i mean i guess for me this movie the reason i think it worked so well is because the uh it makes me think of like something like the thin red line with terrence malick that we watched i wish it had been called the thin red line with, with terrence, terrence malick. malick i know i should i don't know why for <laughs> It made me think of Thin Red Line, though, because it was like the spectacle of the movie was so good. Like, for me, the experience of watching this movie was like, it it did that thing where it was like very sensory. Like the, uh, I really liked the music. It was bold. Like the the decision to do what they did with the music was was a pretty bold choice because it's way out there. It's really big and present at all times. It's, It's like in your face telling you how to feel even in like the most like there's a scene where they like are plotting the um where the the pipeline's gonna go and like i I just have this memory of like where they ride up over the crest of a hill and they see the ocean and the music is like so intense during that scene but if you just think about the scene it's just like two guys riding a horse up a hill or like there's many times where characters are just kind of sitting there or doing very little and the music is very intense. It even had this like kind of that Leggetti feel. Like the first shot made me think, oh, 2001. Like it, it, it does has have, that yes, dissonant Leggetti sort of sound. And it's so heavy throughout the whole movie. And like I thought that was nuts. It was like a crazy choice. And I actually really liked it. It's the guy from Radiohead. That's crazy. It's the it's the lead guitarist from Radiohead. And I don't know that he normally scores 
movies. I, I, I think he's just like maybe he and Paul Thomas Anderson were friends or something. It's like, I don't think that's something he normally does. So it's, it is very unusual. And I assume that's why, because obviously Radiohead, <laughs> well, their first, you know, uh, few things were not, but they, they got incredibly experimental sort of after well, OK Computer. I, I really appreciated the boldness of that choice. Like I, okay. of this, with this movie, it gave it such a strange feeling that I really liked. It was very unsettling the whole time. It kept me... I think it, it helped keep the energy really high, even through scenes that were maybe, if you just took the visuals, more like low energy. And I just... It was so it was so strange. And I really liked the experience of it, I guess. And uh, other things, too, like I love well, Just on that, though, before we move on from the music, yeah. I also didn't like the music. Well, I can um, see why. I think it's a, it was a... Polarize, potentially polarizing choice. It's very odd. It felt very non sequitur too. Like it felt like the the music was telling a different story than the movie was telling. Yeah. And I don't understand why I would want that. Right. Like it's like why would I want the music to be like conveying one emotion while the story is conveying another? I was like maybe there's a reason why I would want that sometimes, but constantly throughout a movie, it just felt weird. I mean, I guess I agree. It felt kind of weird, but I just, I liked the experience of it. I liked the feeling of dissonance. It's just odd. It was so odd, and I really yeah. liked it. But I think it was definitely a choice. Like, I don't, I can see why someone would be like, that was weird and it didn't work for me, because it's it's a choice. Um, I mean, it didn't really bother me that much, because I really wasn't interested in this movie. So, it's actually kind of hard for me to judge it separately, because I'm like, well, you know... I noticed that about the film, but I can't really say it diminished the film for me because I didn't like the film anyway. So it's not like I was could really have an objective opinion about the music because in order to have an objective opinion about this music scored similarly in another movie that had more of a story, I, I would have to like buy in, right? Like I'd have to have that experience of buying into the thing and then is the music pulling me out or is it creating this other kind of emotion? So I can't really judge the music, to be honest. I don't think I liked it, but at the end of the day, I think it's hard to say because I wasn't engrossed in this film. So that doesn't really provide a fair comparison for the music. Well, I think for me, the music actually helped me become really engrossed in the film because okay. for me, as I said before, like this is a really sensory kind of experience. And the music is a huge part of that because it's it's so present for the whole movie and it's really giving you a lot of like emotional information i guess or it's it's cueing you on ways to feel during scenes where the events of the scene wouldn't necessarily make you feel that way and i think too like just the visuals like not just the way i mean the way it's shot i i think throughout the movie there's so many so many really 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 well shot scenes um, it is a good looking film yeah. i don't think it's it's not as striking to me as the master was like the master was probably one of the best looking movies i've ever seen it's up there with any anything else like i could arbitrarily randomly pick a film from the great cinematography films of all time and the master is like right up right up well, totally competing so i it, it didn't hit that for me but i did think it was good like like he, in general i don't think paul thomas anderson ever really makes a movie that doesn't look good he just he's he's a good filmmaker and he knows what he's doing there's so much thought into like every shot and i i, yeah. I don't know i really really liked that i also liked the historical like accuracy element, like the period element, I, the, all the oil drilling stuff was really fascinating to me and also like extremely well done. Like the scene when the oil bursts through, like the scene where the sun is injured, uh. that, that scene was so intense and it kind of made me realize the effect that action in a movie can have if it's like really well done and in placed in a movie that's generally not like an action movie right like yes that action was so thrilling and you felt that right the intensity of that moment it felt really real uh the sound was really good we like the the it was so loud and it almost like shook the speakers it was so loud when that the oil like gushed through and it was like I feel like that just the experience of that scene was so good just to sit there and watch it and listen to it and let it happen to you. Like for me, that it was such a good scene. Well, I think Paul Thomas Anderson doesn't really make much action stuff in general, but you can tell this is why I always said, you know, I said before this and I'm saying again here, obviously, you know, me not liking one of his movies is just me because 
he doesn't make these kind of movies where you have like all kinds of action or you know fight sequences or anything like that. There's really nothing like that. Uh, but his movies do occasionally have stuff like that in it. In Punch Drunk Love, there's a little bit of that actually, and in this movie, there's a little bit of that. And you know, you can see just like, hey, this guy just knows how to do everything basically mm-hmm. if he wants to mm-hmm. because. You look at the scene, for example, where the guy gets hit by the yeah. um, by the drilling the the like uh, I don't know what you call the thing. It's like a it's it's not a drill bit because it's not attached to a drill in that way. But it's like the the, the pile driving keeps, piece yeah, yeah, that goes pile down. Thing, yeah. And he gets hit in the, and killed, and it just feels so visceral. You're yeah. like, oh, you know, and you know that's that's the kind of thing that. You know, an action movie filmmaker has a ton of practice doing. Paul Thomas Anderson never does this. When it occurs in his movies, it's perfect, right? So, yeah, that's why I say, like, when I watch a Paul Thomas Anderson movie and it doesn't really connect with me, I kind of know it's just like, well, he wasn't really telling this for me. But he obviously just knows if he did want to tell a story to me, he could. Because he just kind of knows, like, when you do these sorts of things, the audience feels this way. He knows that it translates. Yes. And so, you know, I I always still appreciate that when I watch a movie like this. I'm like, well, he did that exactly right. I didn't really care, but he did it exactly right. And and even though I didn't care about the movie at that point, I was like totally engrossed in the people down in the thing. And, oh, they got hit. Yes. And like, oh, it felt bad. Right. So, you know, he just he knows how to make the scene do what it, what he wanted to do. Yeah, absolutely. I, and I think for me that kept me interested throughout the whole movie Mm. i think he's so good at um i mean basically storytelling i guess in the in within scenes and like even though his movies are maybe more artsy i think the actual directing of every scene is like really clear and the editing yeah the editing is everything is very clear so clear and his his shot choices are often creative and interesting but like very clear and not artsy for the sake of being artsy right like the way he shoots everything is done for a reason that is clear but it's not it's not like just your your you know standard everyday well i remember there's a shot in this for example where the you know there's just a a car they're like gonna drive i think they're driving a car along a train track and you know you could have just shot it straightforward, but instead it is pretty artsy. It starts pointing straight down the track so that you just see like this very symmetric shot mm-hmm. of the train track going off into the distance to infinity, mm-hmm. right? You can't mm-hmm. see where it ends because it's one of those like optical things where just like the resolution kind of, yeah. of your eye <laughs> or the camera <laughs> g- is lost before you see the end of the track. It just goes forever basically. And the the car is like on the right side and they start driving and it pulls back along the track and then tilts the camera towards the car and then the car goes behind the train station which comes in front mm-hmm, of you mm-hmm. and then you see it right and it's a very artsy shot the whole time really but it's still just kind of an exciting action style shot yes yeah so it's not like it's not doing something that's like I'm going to just focus on this mongoose in a tree for five minutes because that's supposed to give you something about – is the mongooses live in trees? I don't know. I don't know. I was trying to come up with some weird nature thing, but, you know, I don't know anything about nature. <laughs> so it's it's an artsy shot, but it's respecting your time. He's not completely – he's not being a dick about it where he's just like, I don't know, this mm-hmm. esoteric thing that I think is artsy. I'm going to make you watch it. It doesn't ever feels that way. Yeah, like everything ends up feeling like it has this big sense of scale too. Mm-hmm. Like – he really likes long shots, kind of uncut shots, and and often shoots fairly far back, which gives you this feeling of, like, one of the most amazing scenes in this movie uh, is when he puts his son on the train and then leaves. Oh, yeah, so one or two. It's incredible. Like, that shot is, it's just so good. I mean, when that train goes by and then the guy is holding his son back and... It's like a literal train that they're shooting and this is happening on and he's just walking, you know, Daniel's walking. And the camera walking, like follows him all the way out. All the way out. And, tur- and tilts and then sh- angles back to see the, the train. As the train goes by. As it's, it, it's really I mean, good. It's, it's, it's amazing. Like that kind of filmmaking to me is is just like perfect. Well, the people are trying. This is the thing. Like nobody showed up that day going, let's just get the shot we need of the guy leaving the train. Mm-hmm. They were like, 
we're going to make an awesome shot of a guy leading a train, leaving a train, right? They're, they're, everyone is trying really hard to make some unique cinema for you to watch. And yeah, like I said, I didn't like this movie, but I totally respect it. And the whole time, I totally agree. I'm like, yep, someone tried hard to get a good shot today, right? Well, they were really not, trying. It's not just that that was a good shot, but it also totally reinforced the feeling of yep. that scene, right? It It made it feel so much more intense and awful and yep. and the the scale of it right like you feel like this train is literally leaving it's not just like a shot of the boy on the train and then a shot down it's like it's all happening together in the same world there's so many moments i think like that in this movie that was one of the most impressive to me i think i just really really like the filmmaking here i like how engrossing it is it's so visual it's visually engrossing i think the sound design between the music and then the sound effects i think the sound effects were like a big part of some of the oil well stuff, I think, why it worked really well. The the quietness, yeah. the loud, and then with just how loud it became, it's just, it's so well done. It's so skillfully done. So uh, I would say that this is one of the only movies that I can think of where I also didn't like Daniel Day-Lewis's performance. Hmm. Uh, like, this is why I say, like, I just, I really don't like anything about this movie. So, for example, the final scene of this movie is probably the best example. It just feels like comedy to me. The The last scene of this movie just felt co- like comedy. Both Paul Dano and Daniel A. Lewis they, they felt like a comedy sketch. It didn't feel like drama to me ever in this movie. And I don't know. Like, again, like I'm totally willing to believe. I mean, there's it's it's really confusing, actually, this movie to me in general. Because here's the thing. It says it's based on an Upton Sinclair novel mm-hmm. named Oil, mm-hmm. which to my mind, if it's Upton Sinclair, presumably it's like it's like satire or something. Like, I don't know. I've never read that Upton Sinclair novel. I'm kind of interested to do so now. But I feel like the source material probably was comedy. So this is like a non-comedy, I think, like I don't think this movie is supposed to be funny or satirical, I should say, because... Funny is the wrong word. Like, laugh out loud funny is no. not the same as satire, necessarily. I don't think this movie is supposed to be satirical, but the source material, I think, probably was. And again, I haven't read it yet, so I'm not sure, mm. but I kind of should go see. And the performances feel satirical in this movie. So now I'm even more confused when I think about it, because it didn't feel like it was trying to be satirical, yet the performances felt satirical, and the source material, I think, is satirical. I looked really quickly on Wikipedia and it did say that it was a satire, for example. Uh, But again, like I haven't read it, so I'm not sure. Mm -hmm. So I'm super confused and I don't get it. I don't understand a lot of the choices in this movie. But like I said, because Paul Thomas Anderson really seems to know what he's doing all the time, I'm just not prepared to say that they did anything wrong. It might just be me. It's interesting because I think of that last scene and I kind of get like I kind of get what you're saying. There is like almost like a silliness to it. Yeah. The whole milkshake thing and the... When he's, you know, he's chasing him around and throwing bowling pins and stuff it's, at him. Yeah. And it's like, it's it's kind of both. It's weird. But I think it's like almost makes it more disturbing, actually, is having that. Maybe. That like almost playful like aspect to how Daniel Day-Lewis's character is like behaving. And like, I, I, to me, it's like it, it definitely felt disturbing. And I don't know if maybe having it be a little bit goofy or or something like made it feel more disturbing i mean some of the stuff where he where he's you know like in the restaurant with the with the standard oil guys and Mm -hmm. he puts the napkin over his head and stuff like that they just feel satirical to me they Mm -hmm. don't feel like drama scenes Mm -hmm. really but then other parts of the movie feel definitely like drama scenes right i mean to the point the leaving the boy like the boy leaving on the train does not feel satirical it feels dramatic yes right so I just don't know. And I think that's another thing about this movie where I'm just like, I don't enjoy it because I don't know what it is. Like I have when I'm watching it, I'm really just confused hmm. about what is supposed to be happening in my head. I don't get a clear anything from the movie that I can like latch onto and sort of think about. because I'm just like, I don't know. Are you trying to satirize small town preachers? Are you or are you? trying to take them seriously. I, I don't know. Paul Dano's sermons in this are laughable to me. Like, they're almost laugh out loud how funny they are. To me, they come across as, like, creepy. 
Like, he comes across as really creepy. It does not come across as creepy to me. It comes across as silly. Satirically in that way. Like, if you were trying to make fun of a, you know, Old West small town preacher, this would be like your satirization of them. Yeah. Well, and I mean, I think it's, I, I think he is supposed to come across that way to some extent. I mean, obviously... Daniel Day-Lewis's character does not take him seriously and thinks he's an idiot and a weirdo. Like, like I mean, right, he he thinks he's coming across that way, I think. I don't know. I think I think this always, this comes down to, like, the, the difference in the way we watch stuff. Because for me, it's like, I'm not necessarily actively trying to think about anything in particular, right? I'm just experiencing it. Okay. Like, I mean, th- for example, like, the, the, the we talked about with the music, where the music doesn't really match, like, what you're seeing on the screen, Sometimes. I mean, often doesn't match what you're seeing on the screen. Right. I think in some ways what you're talking about is almost the same thing where it's like the things that are happening or the tone of them, like, don't match kind of what you feel like it should be or something. Right. Like, I feel like that's a that's just a thing that this movie is doing. Well, there's There's like this dissonance between like this push and pull between these like two different things and for me it ends up always just feeling really unsettling because of that but like in a in a nice way okay i guess i mean that works i i don't know like i said i just i don't know i have nothing else to say really yeah other than there's just a lot of that sort of thing going on in the movie for me i i just can't get a hold of this movie in a way that makes me want to watch it well it's funny because i didn't consciously think of that like for example you saying that certain things feel like almost comedic or something they do until you said that i didn't i didn't think that like i didn't really think that like that last scene i didn't think oh this is funny i mean you have a drunk character a very drunk character who's saying some like sort of silly thing about a milkshake and the way he's acting it out is it is kind of silly but in the context of the scene it's to me is like incredibly scary it was it was not to me, and I think it makes those kind of scenes just really difficult to parse. I mean, literally, this is a scene where the the guy like beats the dude to death with a bowling pin, mm-hmm. I guess a wooden bowling pin, mm-hmm. and then like afterwards, he says to his butler or manservant or whatever you call that position in an American household, he says like I'm finished. It's it's almost like a joke. Yeah. Right. And so, you know, again, I just don't get it. Like, it feels like this movie is sitting in a really uncomfortable ground between drama and satire where it doesn't work as either to me. Mm. Because as a drama, I want it to tone down that silliness a bit, make it more creepy, less silly, because it wasn't really landing as creepy for me most of the time. Or as a satire, I wanted it to be more clever, more intricate in how it was satirizing these people and their behavior. And I just wasn't getting either of those things. So the whole time I just felt pulled in multiple directions. I mean, even because of this constant tonal imbalance to me, it also made things that probably there's nothing really wrong with this scene. But it just because of that, you know, like I said, I think Paul Thomas Anderson makes great scenes. He knows what he's doing. They have they do great shots. They have lovely locations. They seem to care a lot about where people are standing and what they're doing and how to make it all integrate into a nice feel, what the camera's going to do, where's it going to be. This is a really well-made movie. So even shots that I'm like, okay, this shot's probably fine, but when you place it in context with all of these weird push and pulls, it just, I can't really, it's just weird and feels off. A good example of that would be the first time that Daniel Day-Lewis and Paul Dano have a slap fight. Mm-hmm. In the mud, where he pushes him in the mud? It's just silly. Yeah. The whole thing was silly. It looked silly. I, I don't know. I mean, that sh- shot probably is fine in a movie where I haven't been primed to think that things are kind of silly at this point. But, you know, I don't I, yeah, know. Yeah, it's so funny because that, that did not read as silly to me. So it felt so silly. It's weird because I can, like, there is sort of a silliness to, like, grown men yeah. pushing each other in the mud and, like, flailing around. There is something kind of silly about that, I guess. But for me, the the movie is so clearly like not silly in those moments that it come it comes across as just like darkly disturbing, I guess. Well, it's also like relatively unprovoked. So it's two men like Daniel Day Lewis just starts slapping uh, Paul Dano for basically no reason. Like ostensibly, there is a reason, which is that Paul Dano is asking for his money or something, right? So. 
It's not. It's not like it's. There's literally no provocation. Like he doesn't literally just walk up to Paul Dano randomly and slap him. Yeah. But it's pretty close to that because they've already had plenty of interactions, and Dano Lewis hasn't ever done it. So this is kind of like. I mean, I believe this is just sort of the meant to be like. Okay, this is the first time Dano Lewis just kind of like snaps and decides to slap this guy because he doesn't like him. Like I get that. But it doesn't come across that way to me. Like when I'm watching it, it just looks like Daniel Day Lewis suddenly is a slapper because he hasn't really been slapping people. It's not like a thing that he does all the time in this movie. Like, oh, I just slap people a lot. <laughs> but in here, it's that's what he suddenly becomes. He's like, now I'm Mr. Slappers and I slap people. And it's like, okay. So it was just a lot of that stuff just doesn't work. I don't know. I, I really couldn't deal with a lot of that <laughs> stuff. It just came across as silly or out of place. And, uh, you know. I think Daniel Day-Lewis's performance doesn't help that because, to me, he's playing satire. Like, that doesn't feel like a genuine performance to me. That feels like a silly, on-the-edge-of-silly performance. The way he does the voice, the way he does some of the, like, over-the-top reactions, like someone's will go like, and things like that. They, they feel broad and silly in a way that is if I was trying to satirize this guy. But the movie doesn't really satirize the mm-hmm. guy. He's just a guy. It's not satirical. There isn't a lot of commentary on how oil men's life is weird, like, is 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 bad and we're going to satirize it or something. It's like, it doesn't really do well, that. The mo- I, I think the most concrete thing that this movie is saying is basically like, look, we have we have a main character who is... Like, all the other characters in, our, in this month, unlike the main character, they're all misanthropes. They don't like people. Right. This man, uh, you know, Daniel, is a classic sort of, like, almost like a cartoon of a businessman, right? Where he's like, he wants to succeed. He wants money. He wants to be the best. He doesn't, he says it in the movie. He's like, I don't like to see other people succeed. And he it seems will, like for hurt, him it's, he will it's, do whatever it takes. Like, he doesn't care about other people. He will... He will do whatever it takes to get them out of his way. It it does seem like he is very similar to Lou in this respect from when we opened the series with Nightcrawler, where they're almost not that concerned with money either. It's more about competition and being top dog because you can kind yes. of see like by the you know, by the end of the movie, Daniel Lee Lewis has like infinite money. He doesn't really care about the money at all. He cares about the fact that he is the like top guy and that he makes more money than everyone else. Well, yeah, he's even, Not that he when he gets the actual money, he doesn't really have anything to do with it anyway. Well, and his like, you know, the I think the, at the very end is the sort of the scene with his son where his son's like, look, I want to go off and try to make my own thing. He's not going to really be in competition at all with his father right. because he's just doing this small time thing. And uh, but his his father's still like basically like, I hate you. You're not yeah. my son. To me, I think the maybe more like heavy handed statement I'm getting from that is just like he's basically pushing away the things that matter. Like he doesn't want family or that relationship with his son, which is like the only real human relationship he has where he actually does seem to sort of care a little bit. And yeah, maybe um, for me, I think that scene at the end was just the sort of final like he is t- completely at that point in the movie given given up com- like on every on everything but the money and he's the most miserable he's ever been at that mm-hmm. point in the movie right so to me like if there is the sat the satire the the or the commentary is definitely like sort of giving up your humanity in in, in, never had in any. seeking out uh the the wealth and he never really cared about his son i mean the, no, the very first scene we away. see of the son is him ignoring the kid because it's not his son first of all like a mm-hmm. but b like he's busy drawing a little well derek while someone else was holding the baby mm-hmm. right he just kind of ends up with the baby and sort of half like i guess instinctively does fatherly sort of things because that's what humans will generally do but he obviously never really cared about the kid hardly at all. I don't know. Right? I feel like the the relationship with the son was interesting because I do think he it does seem like he he was torn. Like I think he cared but he also didn't care. Like he he still cared more about success than he cared about his son, but I think he did care about the boy. I do think he did. You get some hints that he sort of did um but not really. But it always takes it always takes second Place yeah, always second place. Always so it's like it never really felt like, you know, in a drama, it originally took first place and then gets demoted to second place, right? This is why I say that this feels like satire because he never really had that. It never really took that seriously. It was always kind of clear that, well, it just kind of take it or leave it. It's like, yeah, I got this kid. Maybe, you know, he could leave or stay. I don't care. 
It always felt that way. Yeah, but I mean, I, I think even at the end when he says, like, to, to his son to be cruel, he's like, I only took you in because I needed, like, a sweet face to sell the thing. And I don't think that's true. I don't think that's actually true. No, it's probably not. Like I said, there there is some, like, fatherly instinct yeah. that you see in the movie, but it's just, it's so minimal that it's just like, it's not, it doesn't feel dramatic when he does these things. It just feels, yep, like, that's what he would do. End of story. Like, I think there is, that is actually a conflict that is happening within this character I mean, the, the I actually really like the scene where the Paul Dano priest guy basically, like, you have to be, like, baptized or whatever. And he forces him to say, like, I abandoned my son. And I actually felt like that was pretty intense because you can see that he actually ends up, like, Daniel says that in a way where you can tell that he does, like, he's, it's like he's admitting something. Like, he de- he is torn. He feels guilty. For abandoning his son. Like, you, he does deep down in there somewhere feel guilty about it. But I think to me it's like... But not really. Like, so again, this is why I say I don't feel like the movie takes that seriously. Because it's not like we get a lot of content in this movie <laughs> devoted to that, right? A lot of runtime. It just kind of, that scene happens and then that's it. You know? But I, yeah, I guess, but what are you... Like... But what do you what do you need to happen? Like I guess it's like this is a guy who would, who much like you brought up the Nightcrawler example. This is really a guy who doesn't change. I would say he. That's he, why I say it's not drama. Get, he does get worse. I would say by the end he is he is basically just a complete drunk monster. He is not that person. He, he is not the same guy he is at the end throughout most of the movie. He does progress very slightly. But yeah, like in his core from the start. He is who he is. Yeah, I mean, that's why I say it's not drama. That's why it feels like satire. It's just the same guy the entire time, really, to me. It's it's not like a, oh, these were the experiences of life that led me to be who I am. It's like, no. He was who he was at the start, and he's who he was at the end. Pretty much no change, almost at all. You know, he's he's a little older and drunker. But you like, but... But you like Nightcrawler, and Nightcrawler was even more consistent. I mean, he didn't change even a little bit in Nightcrawler. Sure. I- I'm not saying this is a badass with the movie. I said that's why I say it's not drama. Nightcrawler is satire almost exclusively. It satirizes everything. It satirizes both of those industries. It satirizes the concept of the hero's journey because it basically shows like a success story, but from something we really don't want to succeed. Mm-hmm. Nightcrawler is satire from start to finish. And I think this movie has a satirical kind of tone because the characters don't change and don't have anything interesting happen mm-hmm. to them really that affects their personalities. They're just the same person all the time. But there's just nothing interesting in it satirical. Like, I don't see it commenting on really anything. You know, it, it maybe is just trying to get across the point that all of these people are horrible and greedy in 1890. Mm-hmm. Because that's what it feels like, right? It's like the church people are horrible people. The, he's a horrible person. The oil people are horrible people. Well, it's like everyone's, everyone's horrible. Everyone's just, like, exploiting everyone else. and uh, Because like, it's the Wild West. Because, like, the Paul Dano character is... There's an interesting kind of parallel between the Paul Dano character and Daniel Plainview. Is that, like, they're both... Daniel Plainview Day-Lewis. <laughs> yeah, exactly. They're both kind of, like, exploiting other people to satisfy some desire that they have within themselves, right? And much like, like I think, Paul Dano's character forces Daniel Day-Lewis to admit something, the thing about his son, at the end... Daniel Day-Lewis's character forces Paul Dano's character to admit something, which is that I am like a charlatan and a fraud and I don't actually believe any of this. But like, and so that's kind of an interesting dynamic, I think. Is it? Because it's something we already know. Like, I, again, I just don't know what the point of it is. I just don't know what the point of it is. If, if, so the reason I say I don't understand this movie and I don't feel like it's drama, but it also doesn't seem to be satirizing anything in particular, and I, or at least I can't understand what the intelligent part of the satire would be that I would engage with, right, is if this were a movie where Paul Dano was actually very devout and not kind of obviously like a snake oil salesman the entire time, it might be interesting to hear him disclaim that at the end. Or to have the question of whether he would do that for money or not. But there's no question. We know exactly who he is. Of course he would do that for money. The entire movie he hasn't given a crap about religion or Jesus or anything else. He's only cared about his own position. So it's not dramatic. Not only do I not care which one he's going to do at the end of the movie, but I already know which one he's going to do. Of course he's going to say it, right? 
Drama is when we don't know what the character is going to do, right? It's a raisin in the sun. Is he going to sell the house or isn't he, right? That's what makes great drama is I am dying to know. Like, I'm so invested in this family and I'm dying to know what he's going to do, right? Um, and it's got all and it's got this whole weight of, you know, the social environment of the time and everything on it. Like, that's drama to me. Like, OK, yes. In this movie, it's like there's no drama. I know exactly what these two characters are going to do at the end of the film. There's it's not drama. It's hmm. it's like an arrested development episode, but just not funny. It's bad people doing bad things predictably. But rather than it being sort of a farce and lighthearted, so we enjoy the the fact that Job's always going to say illusion, Michael, or whatever. It's like we know what the character is going to say, but it's not funny. Like it's just kind of ugh, right. So I don't know. Like I just can't. Hmm. I just can't get there. And like I said, still not willing to say this is a bad film because I just don't know. Like I might just be missing it, or it's for a very niche audience or something like that. Because it's obviously extremely well made. I just don't get it. I just hmm. don't get the screenplay. You know, for for me, I as I said at the beginning, like I was extremely engrossed throughout this entire movie. I felt really like locked in. I felt like I was sort of on a ride. Do you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And I can see that because, again, like I, it is so well made yeah. that it's like, you know, I mean, nobody complains or at least I wouldn't complain, you know, about about the Iron Monkey not having a great dramatic screenplay yeah, or something. Exactly. Right. So it's like I can totally see someone coming. It's just like it's just an old West wild ride for me. Like I just, you know, I get on the roller coaster and it takes me through the Wild West, and then I get off and I'm done. And that's fine, right? And I, I'm like, okay, I totally get that. And right? I, I guess I would sort of say it is a little bit of that for yeah. me. I think you've got all of the filmmaking things coming together to make mm-hmm. this really visually and... Uh, well, sensor, very like I always I say this all the time on this podcast when it's like Terrence Malick, I said it the same thing. It's like a sensory experience. Uh, and I, that's, I think that's why I felt like this this movie and The Thin Red Line in particular felt like there was something very similar in the core of those two movies. And, and I guess Days of Heaven, too. Days of Heaven felt a lot like this movie in that way. It has less of a strong main character because, you know, Richard Gere is not a particularly arresting presence. Yeah, he's, I think the, I would more say smooth, this movie, right? this movie I, was way more uh, engrossing than Days of Heaven. It, to me, it felt a lot more like the pacing was a lot better. There was more interesting stuff happening. Uh, it felt like there was a lot of progression, like things were constantly evolving and changing and time was passing and things. What's also shot to put you in the action, like, yes. you know, There Will Be Blood is shot so that Daniel Day-Lewis and like Paul Dano and things are like right in the frame and you're right in their face and feeling that. Whereas Days of Heaven is shot like, you know, it's as if the action is taking place somewhere like 30 yards from you, <laughs> apparently intentionally, like this was not a mistake. This is just like what they were doing was like. You're kind of like a little kid who's around while these things are happening, but you're not in it, which makes it a lot less approachable. So this movie's definitely more immediate and engrossing. The Days of Heaven, no well, question. It also just has way more of like an actual plot. Plot, yeah. like I want to find out what's going to happen with the sun and with the pipeline and with the oil wells, okay. and like I want to know what's going to happen next with this movie. And there's this sense of like foreboding and threatening, like. Partly because of the music, I think, but there's this this throughout the entire movie. There's this like very threatening, ominous feeling where it just feels like something bad is going to happen at any moment, right? And I they think set that, that up from the very beginning because people are constantly getting killed or maimed. Yeah, and, uh, and I think the, the music really contributes to that throughout because it's like it's very threatening, and the character is very threatening. Like Daniel Day Lewis's character is kind of a scary dude like he feels like he could snap at any moment and in fact he does multiple times Sometimes, throughout the movie yeah. he he kills people he just like straight up kills people like he he is ruthless and and i mean he's pretty much just an evil dude so i think that intensity kept me really engaged because i didn't know what he was gonna do next like i knew that it was gonna be bad right but like i don't know what it is what he's gonna do and uh that kept me pretty interested yeah so I don't know. I really liked it. Well, that's good. I drink your milkshake. <laughs> All right. All right. You know? Drainage. You're talking about drainage? Yeah. Well, yeah, you definitely got all the drainage from this movie. My my land was barren. Hey, at least you finished it this time. 
This is, yeah, the first time I tried watching it, I could not finish it. I got like 30 minutes into it and I was just like, nah, I'm not doing this. It's so hard for me to wrap my head around because the first part of this movie I think is so good. Like, I really, I'm in, I'm in, I'm into it. I'm really not. I just really am not. I mean, you, one interesting thing about this movie, too, that we didn't mention is it's like basically a silent film for the first 20 yes. minutes. There's no spoken dialogue no, at all. It's so, I, I love that. Um, I, I really love that. And again, not a fan of that sort of thing. I, as people know who listen to this podcast, obviously, I'm like extremely dialogue and plot like focused it's most of what i think of when i think of storytelling I'm the opposite where a lot of times i don't even listen to the dialogue. yeah yeah uh so the first 20 minutes are kind of the are exactly your yeah. thing and exactly not my yeah. thing because for you they're you're like oh good they got rid of that annoying dialogue i can just focus on the imagery well, it's like it's, uh, and for me i'm like okay for me, like, it allows me to get into this really good focused zone yeah. where you're just letting it all happen to you you're experiencing it okay. viscerally all right and i love i love that kind of filmmaking i really do i love feeling like i'm transported and that i'm observing things happening in some other some other world and in some way i mean this is you know a historical drama so it feels that way it feels like you're transported and i love that i love that feeling well you know paul PTA's got your back. It's weird that you didn't like The Master, but I, I guess... To, I need to... I think I need to try watching it again, probably. I just remember being confused. But I guess I can sort of see why, because, you know, there is a lot more of a... There's a lot more of a romantic uh, feel about, like, the Old West. And I lo- I do... Um, I, I love Westerns, so... It's got better, yeah. like... It's got a better sort of natural sense of of, like scale because it's like oh the oil the oil boom and oil exploration and like that sort of towering sense of like these big Mm -hmm. wells you know that we're building and whatever you know this movie has spectacle it it it, it's grander right whereas the master is just a story about some people who are living in i don't know the 70s i don't remember what the era was 50s 60s something like that uh isn't isn't that guy based on the philip seymour hoffman's character is based on uh is it the Scientology guy? Who is it? L. Ron Hubbard. Isn't he based on one of those guys? One he, of those like, he, cult guys? I'm sure he is. Uh, a lot of Paul Thomas Anderson films, he starts with something like very small nugget of truth from the real world. Like he'll start from just a little newspaper story about some guy who did something. And then he'll make a whole movie out of that. Not hewing to anything about the story. Just yeah. like this idea, right? Um, that was in something. He'll do that. Like Magnolia is that way. Punch Drunk Love was that way. Uh, and I'm sure the master is like that. It's like I don't know if it was Elron Hubbard, but I'm sure there was some cultish leader kind of guy. I mean, cult leader is probably the wrong word in this particular case, but like cult of personality leader anyway. Who it was based on, but mm-hmm. I don't know. Well, Could yeah. be Elron Hubbard, but I don't know who it is. Anyway, well, this this but. podcast isn't about the master, so we won't we won't dwell on it. But okay. anyway. Is there really anything else that we can say about this one? Um, I don't think I have anything left to say. I, I think I've pretty much given you the entire picture for me, which is just I didn't feel like it landed squarely anywhere that I could really latch onto, And so it kind of always felt tonally off to me and things that maybe weren't supposed to be comedy came across as comedy, but not very funny. And I just had a real struggle with it. I do agree the filmmaking was excellent. I just think that the some some combination of screenplay and acting choices slash directing really just did not make sense to me pretty much the entire movie. And that's really where it falls down for me. Obviously, I think it looks great. I like the setting. I don't have a problem with what they're showing. Uh, I like the oil thing, the old railroads, like the small town stuff looked cool and interesting. Um, And I liked the period. So it really just came down to screenplay plus acting choices. I just, I don't get it. I really Hmm. don't. Well, and I'm, I'm pretty opposite. I, I was. Everything kind of clicked. Everything kind of clicked. It doesn't feel super cohesive. It feels dissonant, but I like the feeling. Cool. 
And right. uh, it, it makes the movie f- feel really distinct and memorable. Which I think is kind of just true of Paul Thomas Anderson movies. Like, I don't think I've ever watched one and been like, well, that was the same sort of thing. I'm <laughs> yeah, right? yeah. Like, I like the fact that if you go to watch one of his movies, you're going to see something different. Right. Yeah. And you may not like it. But it's not going to be it. There's no cookie cutter. Well, and that's why I said at the beginning, like, I appreciate, especially with the music where it was like, whoa, that was a choice. Right. It's like so odd and bold. And for me, it just worked. But it's like it's it was a choice. And it means that, you know, if the movie fails for people, then it does. But for the people who it works for, they're getting something that they really can't get anywhere else. Like, you're probably not going to get a lot of movies like this movie. So if you happen to like this movie, Paul Thomas Anderson kind of made something unique just for you. Yeah. And, you know, that is totally worth doing because in order to make a movie that sits in a unique niche and feels different, you're going to have to alienate some viewers, such as me, because by definition, you're moving into a smaller artistic space like that's appreciated by less people right yeah and you know i think sometimes you can be pretentious and do something like that and it's just kind of crap but this is not that right i'm totally willing to believe that this works perfectly for people such as yourself or uh, you know uh, other people and you know again glad glad he glad he made it glad he made it and it is it you can see that the filmmaking is not garbage it's really good to be honest i feel like Paul Thomas Anderson is one of the very few modern filmmakers who is actually doing something and like trying new things and taking chances like his movies. They feel more like the that sort of like rawness and creativity of the of like the Kubrick era of of the 60s and 70s. Like we talked about with with Taxi Driver and Scorsese, where there's like this creative feeling of we're trying some stuff here and. You don't, you hardly ever get that anymore. And I, I get it from him and I really appreciate that. Yeah. It it feels like he's doing his own thing. It's like, look, I've got a thing that I'm doing and you know, yeah, it might not be everyone's bag, but I I have an idea of what I want this to be and I'm going to do that thing. And it's not just, I saw someone else's movie and I'm going to make a movie like that. I'm doing my thing and here's what it is. And, you know, and to, and like I said, sometimes it works for me, too. Mm-hmm. Like I've seen multiple Tom, Paul Thomas Harris that I like. Mm-hmm. It's not like Terrence Malick where I literally don't think I'm ever going to like anything this person does. Like, I just don't like what they're doing. Mm-hmm. Paul Thomas Anderson, I, I do like just this, not this particular film. Yeah. So is that it? I think that's it. All right. Well, next week is going to be the last movie in our unlikable main characters month. It's going to be Heathers, which is going to be totally different than the last three we watched. Yeah. So Heathers is a fantastic film. I'm really glad it's coming up in the movie club. For people who haven't seen it, it's it's just absolutely great. Excellent. All right. Well, that's it for this week. We will see you back here again next week. Okay, Heather. <laughs> Heather. <laughs> All right. Bye. Bye.